0: Well, the book of Isaiah is an incredible book when you dive into it and study its meaning. It was written by God's prophet named Isaiah, and Isaiah was not only writing about the events of that day and hour, but he was also writing uh, prophetic events about what are going to come in the future. And so, depending on who you talk to, Isaiah is possibly the highest or second highest Old Testament book quoted in the New Testament. It's really that are that Psalms. And so, even in a time period of law, Isaiah preached a message of grace, preaching grace in the midst of law. And so, why? Because grace offers hope. Grace offers hope. And in spite of poor choices and foolish decisions, ones that I'm sure we've never made, but they did back then, God used his prophet to offer hope to the people of that day. And in this preserved writing, this same message still offers hope to us right here today. And tonight, we're going to launch in this two-week series with week one tonight. And both weeks will have the same title, just week one and two. But it's His hand is still stretched out. His hand is still stretched out. Jesus, thank you so much, God, for your faithfulness. Thank you for who you are. God, thank you for seeing something in us, Lord, that you were willing to not only die for us... But even after your death and burial and resurrection and infilling of your spirit, washing away our sins, Lord, you still reach out your hand when, honestly, we just, we don't deserve it, but you and your grace, your love and mercy for us, you see something in us when we don't see it in ourselves. Thank you for that. And God, help your word to really come to life in a powerful way, not only tonight, but next week also, in this message that you've laid on my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. In order to fully understand the scriptures, we must first understand some of the context of why they were written, what the the writer was trying to accomplish. King David's son Solomon was the successor to the throne of Israel, but his sins and personal choices paved the way for a divided kingdom. That wasn't God's plan. It was supposed to be united but it became divided, and Solomon was the last ruler of the united kingdom before it divided. Now, at that point, the kingdom then, after it, as it became divided, split into two parts. Um, the northern kingdom was Israel. The southern kingdom was Judah. Where Isaiah picks up later, around the time of death uh, 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 of Judah's southern, Judah's southern kingdom's king, Uzziah. And that's where Isaiah picks up you might know the scripture. In the day that Uzziah died, they saw the Lord high and lifted up. And, and so that's around this time. And so Judah now faces quite a crisis. The empire of Assyria had laid dormant for many years. But they were now rising in power, and they were looking to, to take territory. And so Assyria's conquest reached southwest from its homeland, which is now kind of northern Iraq area. And they began heading toward their ultimate destination, which was the nation of Egypt. Well, between them and northern Iraq and Egypt, northern Egypt or the nation of Egypt, there were small territories along the way that they wanted to defeat and to take. Well, those territories included Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. And so when Judah's king, Uzziah, was still alive, Judah didn't really pay much attention to anything that Assyria or others were doing because they had a formidable army. They had strength. They had number. And so they were just like, hey, whatever. Come, we'll take care of you. We're not stressed. But when Uzziah died, ungodly rulers took over and led God's people outside of God's parameters. Well, you can't remain blessed if you're not faithful. Just talked on faithfulness. Well, we can't be a blessed people if we are not faithful. And so it was at this time that God gave Isaiah a powerful vision where he saw angels worshiping God, and God was calling Isaiah into this prophetic ministry. I saw the Lord high and lifted up that I, that I just referenced. Meanwhile, Assyria was steadily pushing along the Mediterranean coast, conquering one small nation after another. Well, during this time, Judah's policy on Assyria kind of kind of Vassal, it kind of oscillated between appeasement and confrontation. The new prophet Isaiah stepped in and he brought a much-needed message. And eventually he says this. He says, God is dependable and able to protect. If you will remain faithful and trust him, then he'll take care of you. And it's crazy to put your trust in anyone or anything except for God. That's essentially Isaiah's message. It's kind of the message of the whole Bible, though, isn't it? Unfortunately, Isaiah's message was not always heeded. Within about six years of Uzziah's death, Israel decides to form a coalition with Syria to stand against Assyria. I wish they would have just named him different. and be easier. So I'm going to join with Syria to stand against Assyria. And so when King Ahaz of Judah refused to join this alliance, Israel and Syria attacked Judah in order to force Ahaz to join them. Pay attention, there's a test after all this. Faced with the new crisis, Ahaz foolishly chose not to trust God. Why? He looks, well, they're they're, they're strong, they're joining up. We're outnumbered, things don't look good, I got to do something here. We do that sometimes in life. God says, trust me. We look around. We're like, eh, don't like my odds. I have to try to make something happen. And so Ahaz calls on the Assyrians to rescue him. Now, that seems crazy to me to make a deal with the one who might be trying to destroy you in the first place. But people still do that to this day. But that's what Ahaz does. Israel makes a poor choice and in their fear of Assyria, they make a pact with Syria to fight instead of God. Then Judah, in fear of Israel and Syria's pact, they call Assyria instead of trusting God. So you got these people, they're looking to destroy all these and Judah and Israel are calling on arch rivals, enemies that would, in, in the end, would, would prefer to kill them and destroy them. But they're going, I'm going to take my chance forming a pact with them rather than trusting God because they have a powerful army. And they're on the rise. But making a deal with your enemy doesn't work out well. And so the king of Syria did come to the rescue for Ahaz in this particular instance. He defeated Syria and Israel. And so their king's probably like, hey, I made a good choice. Look what happened. I made this pact with with Assyria, and and they helped me defeat Syria and Israel. But then he also attacked Ahaz, which was his plan all along. And because of this, both Israel and Judah were both eventually overtaken and exiled. And that's where you read about the end of the the, the Old Testament. They're in exile, both nations, both northern and southern kingdoms. You read about Daniel being in exile. Well, this is what transpired because of these decisions. And I read that, and and that's such a, I know I flew through that, and you're like, whoa, let's start over at the beginning. Um, But that's a quick synopsis of a long history. And you sometimes read this, and you read about in, you go back to the beginning, you're like, okay, God said, I have a land of promise, and and I'm going to take you this promised land, and then I'm going to perform miracles. And he parts the Red Sea, and he parts the Jordan River, and he knocks down the walls of Jericho, and he does all this stuff. I mean, like, he's doing incredible things. I mean, just things that are, are beyond comprehension. And then you go look at someone, who, and, and, and you go, how could you see all those things? And then choose to trust a pagan king instead of just keep trusting him. But again, it's so easy to see people's shortcomings in their story. We can sit right now. We could probably stand up, look around the room and go, yeah, you know, I know part of the reason that she struggles, part of the reason he struggles, part of the reason they struggle, because we're really good at seeing where other people's weaknesses are. But yet sometimes it's difficult to go, what am I doing? What am I thinking? And so in this case, we read this and we go, why, how could they fall so far? Why didn't they just keep trusting God? But we could ask ourselves, hey, why why did why do we stop trusting God at times? He certainly has brought us this far. I think his track record's pretty good. And he's done this, 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 this. He's protected us from that, 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 that. Why don't we just keep trusting him? But then, you know, something happens. The bonus comes. We think about, man, what I could use that for. And and we start to do things that go, I I, I really want to trust him, but man, this is really tempting. And so, you read this, and it's not like this happened overnight. It's not like Israel was just serving God, Judas serving God, and all of a sudden they just wake up and boom, they're like, you know what, let's backslide today. Kind of like when you see somebody around and all of a sudden they're just walking away from God, living in sin. Man, I didn't, how did that happen? It's like it happened overnight. I assure you it did not. Something was shifting in the heart long before the action, long before the measurable conclusion, something changed inside of that person. And that's why the Bible talks about guarding our heart. It talks about out of it flow the issues of life, because it's not necessarily just, help me, help me, help me. Sometimes somebody gets so stuck in sin, and we're begging God, help me to change this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to look at that anymore. I don't want to act like that anymore. I don't want to participate in that anymore. But the problem is not necessarily the action itself. It's the heart. And so we must guard our heart, because we've gotten to this point. And so for them, Falling this far, they turn to enemies rather than obeying God, living a life of bondage, completely disregarding God's words and commands, accepting the lies as truth. How does this happen? It does not happen overnight. This is why Isaiah does not come out and say one thing like we see in other parts of the Bible. Uh, Because of this, King Saul, I have torn the kingdom from your hand. Samuel gets up and says, because of this, Saul, look what you did here. Even though with Saul, you could still make the argument. It was a heart issue long before that moment. But he says, this is the tipping point. Because of this, the kingdom's torn from your hand. Or because of this act and statement, Peter, when he says, who, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. Upon, and Jesus says, upon this rock, I'll build. My. Why? Because you made that statement. Because of this moment, you understood this revelation. So now I'm going to do this. This here is way more than this. That's why there's like 66 chapters in Isaiah. Because he could have succinctly said, yeah, they used to love God. I told them this. Here's what they did. They didn't do it. They made this choice. They trusted the king. And then God just said, I'm done. And so we could have said this in three chapters. But it was an unraveling. He took us on this journey of, let's talk about the, the, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Let's look at where in the world all my messages that they had to ignore. Because in order to walk away from God when you've been serving God, you don't have to ignore one message. You have to get yourself accustomed to ignoring a lot of messages. Why? Because God never just gives you one message. We have to actually intentionally ignore multiple messages. And so with Isaiah, you, you read this story unfold. It's like a bad movie. You just want to jump in and be like, no, no, stop. No, why would you do that? D- don't do that. Nobody would do that. Surely they can see that this is not going to work, but they just keep drifting. They just keep making poor choices. And so I, I, as I did this, I, I look back and I look over my notes in the book of Isaiah, and I made a list of things that I saw that caused God's people to fall. Certainly, your list might be different. Maybe your list will be longer, shorter. Tonight, I have 27 things I want to go over. Just kidding. I have just a couple of things that I want to go over. And so, if you're a note taker, um, the three of you that are here, Go ahead. I I make that joke all the time because, like, I say that, and I never see anybody, except for, like, two people that I could name, but I don't want to embarrass them. But I see them pull out their phone or to see them pull. I, I actually tell myself that everybody's on their phone taking notes because of the powerful words of God that he's giving me while I stand in this pulpit. It makes me feel better about myself. But number one, they lost their will to fight. They lost their will to fight. Isaiah 1-7 says, your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence. I mean, could you imagine that? Could you imagine, and it's desolate as overthrown by strangers. I mean, just just imagine. I don't care, you know, whatever you think about self-defense, firearms, whatever. That's, that's between you and Jesus. But I certainly don't think anybody really would open their front door and go, oh, wow, robbers are here. Just Go ahead, guys, grab whatever you need. I got extra in my pocket here. You're taking my children. Hey, they've been kind of frustrating me anyway. Feel free. <laughs> like, I don't think anyone would do that. And that sounds like over the top, yeah, right, like anybody would do that. Well, you might say, you know, honestly, I probably wouldn't stop them from taking a TV or a computer or or a cell phone or China dishes or whatever, you know what I'm saying? But I don't think anybody would let them take your children. But in Israel and Judah's case, they let them take their children. That They let them take their children and say, hey, we own them now. We're going to make them serve us. We're going to change their names. We're going to put our apparel and our way of education on them. Like, you have no more say. For most of us, I think that that American spirit would be like, no. We're fixing to have words right now, more than words. If I die today, then so be it because you will not come in and take my stuff, and you certainly will not take my children. But yet he says, hey, the prophetic voices! your cities are burned with fire. Your, strangers are literally taking it over. I and mean, you're watching. You're sitting by, watching the enemy steal from your city right in front of your face. I think that alone would be like, he's right. Let's go. But what type of dejection do you have to get to? What type of despair to be like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I know. Now, Isaiah is giving a prophetic word about the apathy of God's people. And one of the first things to go before walking away from God and his commands is a lack of fight. And sometimes when people walk away from God, they will justify because they'll say things like, and I've heard it, I wish I didn't, I wish I didn't have personal experience with this. They'll say things like, I've just been fighting for too long. I'm just tired. I feel like it's an uphill battle. I just feel like I got nothing left to give. I just been, I'm just, I'm just wore out. I just feel, don't give up. You might be fatigued. You might be weary. But that's where we say, God, I need the rest of your spirit. Lord, if I need to, I'll take a season where I'm not pouring out and just replenish. And, but, but don't ever justify, oh, uh, it's time for me to walk away because I'm tired. Don't give up. It's a feeling like, "Well, I should just give up. Throw in the towel. I don't make a difference anyway. I don't know why I even try anymore. Don't, give, don't lose your fight. Don't quit. It is certainly not time to quit. Second thing in Isaiah, they clung to religious tradition without relationship. Isaiah 1.11, he says, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? Now, understand the context. This is a time of law where they were still absolutely doing animal sacrifice. Well, that's what we were supposed to do. That's what you called us to do. It might be him saying, to what purpose is the multitude of services and prayer meetings that you have? you, You sing songs and jump up and down to me. Like, well, what do you mean? That's what you called us to do. He says, I am full of burnt offerings and rams. He says, the fat of fed beasts. I delight not in the blood of bullocks of lambs or goats. Wait a second, that's what you called for. He says, when you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations, incenses an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. He says, "It's, it's, it's an iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are trouble unto me, I am weary to them. At a time where a lot of these things are going on, The law was God's plan for his people but he was not telling them no longer live under the law. He was not saying that these things are no longer valid or or I, I never want those things but he was certainly sick of the formality. The fact that they were just coming in and bringing an animal killing it and sacrifice and then you'll go oh go through the incense let that that's the second part well what else do we need to do That's right the 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 altar of incense is, or the altar of sacrifices first then we go to the brazen labor. and then we walk into you know that's the old testament tabernacle and then Solomon you know he, he built another temple that was set up in that same way Oh, okay, we get done with that. Now let's go into the holy place. You got your incense. You got your showbread. You got the light. Let's let that. Okay, now let's fly into the holy place. Bring that blood. We killed the blood, right? Yeah, that was back there. Grab that. We need to dump that on the mercy seat. Sometimes you do something powerful long enough that you forget it's powerful. Sometimes you sit in apostolic moves of God for so long. You forget how powerful it was when you first sat in it. Jesus addressed the Pharisees in the same attitude in the New Testament. Yeah, they did. A lot of the things the Pharisees did, they were called to do. It's not like the Pharisees were doing everything wrong. They were doing a lot of the things that God called them to do. But somewhere along the line, it just became, and God, Jesus calls them out on it. It just became vain repetition. It just became religion. It just became rote. It just, oh, yeah, yeah. He, and then he had to look at him and say, listen, you're whitewashed sepulchers. You look great on the outside, but inside you're messed up, putrid. And so we look at this and go, God was calling for something that was more than just check the box, check the box, check the box, do this, do this, do this. Can it? Could it be Certainly not for everybody, but I think for us, we need to look at ourselves and say, forget everybody else. I'm I'm talking about just for me. Can I ever get to the place where I file into a building, bringing what I'm supposed to bring, sitting in my same spot, lifting my hands at the right moment, approaching an altar because someone told me to, and do it in all because Wednesdays at 7 and Sundays at 2 is where I'm supposed to be. But that does not ignite the passion and pursuit of Jesus Christ just because. Now, certainly, these are things, everything that we do in a service, from cymbals and stringed instruments and shout and preaching and prayer and response and gathering, all these things, scripture line and verse for every one of them. And we can preach these, and I can say, make sure that when you come, you worship. Let's lift our hands. Let's come before him with with praise and with singing. Let's shout with a voice of triumph. Let's, let's go ahead and hit the drums and play the strings and instruments. Let's sing. It's all biblical. Let's give of the tide. Let's do all these and serve. But what I cannot do for, for you and you can't do for me is make sure our hearts are right in the, in the process. Because I can do something for so long and participate in something powerful for long enough that I forget it's powerful. And so for them, he's like, Yeah, you lost your will to fight, but then you also got stuck in the tradition of religion. And forgot what it was really about. I ain't just interested in the sacrifice and the incense. And you're checking the boxes at the right times and the right ways. But you're still missing it, is what he tells them. If our religion does not lead to relationship, then there is no point in it. It should take us, ready? Ready? deeper. If all we do is give, serve, attend, but we're not going deeper, we can get to the point where we can say, oh yes, I know a lot. He just talked about that. I know a lot about God. In our small group this last week, I talked about that. I don't want to just know about God. What we're covering here tonight It's not just a historical lesson, so you can tell people the difference between Israel and Judah, Assyria and Syria, and Ahaz, and it's not, it's not, it's not, we're not regurgitating a historical lesson. It's looking at where they went wrong and thus fell away from God and saying, what principles of life did they have that I can make sure that I'm aware of to ensure that I don't fall away from God? What can I do to learn from them and go and make sure my heart is right where I don't lose my fight, where I don't get just stuck in the, the meaningless timeline of, of, of just religious tradition? But I want it to, to, to take me deeper. I don't want to walk into a service and raise my hand because I think they said, let's raise our hands, and so we just kind of do this. I want to raise my hands and never forget, Lord, this is my surrender to you. And God, right now, you are worthy. I don't feel like it, maybe. Maybe not everything's going great, but Lord, I, I elevate my hands in your presence to surrender. And God, I just want to focus on you right now because of your worth, because there's value in who you are in my life. And so, God, I, I worship you. I praise your name. God, I'm not just, oh, yeah, here's the slide for the tithes. Yep, No, no, no. God, I bring my tithe to the storehouse because the first 10% is yours, and you are my provider, God. So I'm not just writing a check and sending it off. I'm offering worship unto you, God. I'm elevating you into your proper place, and that 10%, it belongs to you. To you and I give it cheerfully like the New Testament says, God, because of who you are, everything we do in life can be worship. Yeah. And then the third thing is personal pride. Isaiah 2:12 says, "For the Lord of heaven's armies has a day of reckoning, He will punish the proud and mighty and bring down everything that's exalted." And then verse 17 he says, human pride, will be humbled, and human arrogance will be brought down. Only the Lord will be exalted on that day of judgment. Again, pride is one of those things. It's so, so easy. I mean, it is so easy to see in anybody else. You can look at people and go, they're prideful. Look at the pride. They reek with pride. Pride is so simple to see in someone else. It's really difficult to see in yourself. It's tough. To go. That statement, that action, reeked of pride. God forgive me. No, it's not pride. It's this, it's that, it's this. There's a misunderstanding. I would never be prideful. Even uh, I'm, I'm even prideful in my humility. <laughs> oh, you sang a great song. Oh, thank you, thank you. Did you really think it was that good? I mean, because I feel like I could have done better, but God... Oh, yes, I thank God. God God gave me this voice. Yes, thank you, God. Just look at somebody and go, thank you so much. That's it. I don't know how to take compliments. I'll give you a life lesson right now. Ready? Thank you. <laughs> you look beautiful. Thank you. You sing great. Thank you. That was a great message. Thank you. That's it. That's it. Just smile. Thank you. I'm glad it blessed you. I'm glad it spoke to you. That's it. Life lesson. But his word, it talks extensively about pride. For them, they just, did they get to the point where they were like, Abraham's our father, Isaac and Jacob? Look at our rich lineage. We can touch God in ways no other nations can. We look different, we worship different. Boy, if we're not careful. We look different. We worship different. We can touch way, God in ways no one else can. Oh, man. So I'm automatically in on, on the in crowd. That I don't need to examine my heart very much because I'm a spirit-filled, apostolic Pentecostal. Which there's something that God has called you in a life of obedience. There's, some, there's power and authority and anointing that come with that, no doubt. But we can't. We have to guard the heart. God, don't ever let me be so prideful that I forget that you've called me into this by your incredible grace and mercy. And help me to guard my heart, God, because before I know it, I can wake up one day and somehow think I'm on the end crowd. And I haven't prayed, I haven't fasted, I haven't read the word, haven't given, haven't served. It, Because I've just been walking this way so long that I just feel like I'm automatically in. Now, pride can make your way think. Think your way is better than God's. Pride keeps you from finding an altar and repenting. Pride has the potential to destroy your marriage because you won't humble yourself or say you're sorry. Destroy your relationship with your kids. Destroy your walk with God. Has the power to keep you out of heaven. And it's a topic that God regularly revisits about he despises it. It's an abomination. He hates it over and over and over again. Our problem is we just think it's in someone else. It's never in us. That's prideful in itself. And then Isaiah says that pride was an issue in God's people. And then he says lack of knowledge. Isaiah 5.13, therefore my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. And their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Sometimes people walk away from God and turn elsewhere, simply not even bad attitude. Oh, they forgot they didn't love. No, it's sometimes they just, they don't know. This is another reason we need more disciple makers at Refuge Church. More people's hands in the harvest in investing in people, teaching Bible studies, going with people to to discipleship class. If you teach a Bible study, I don't care if Pastor Foster is teaching the discipleship class. If he's going through something and it's somebody you brought to Bible study, you should be in the Bible study with them. You should be in the discipleship class with them. You should be walking this journey with them. You don't just hand them to the church and say, good luck, I'll see you on the other side. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved. What are we currently doing right now that's deepening our walk in relationship with God? Are we reading our Bible through this year? Do we study a, 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 at least a chapter a day? Like, what, what are we doing? Are we listening to preaching podcasts, speakers from around the country? Are we going to seminars, conferences? Are we, are we reading? Are we studying? Are we, are we teaching Bible studies? Are we going to small groups, facilitating small groups? Are we, are we reading books that personally challenge us? I look around, and, and it's not the time to coast right now. The rest of the world is studying and getting more intelligent in their areas of expertise. You have conversations with people that are trendsetters, starting businesses, growing businesses, leading businesses. They're getting better. They're, They're improving. I believe God's challenging the church to do the same. I'm not saying we just go follow everybody, that everything that they're doing. But what I am saying is I think we should be on a growth track. I think that we should say, I don't think that we should ever say as a church, I hope one day we grow. I hope one day that we get smarter. I hope one day that we get more spiritual. I hope I know God more. What does that mean? We have to say, what am I doing to, 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 to grow in my knowledge, to grow in depth with God? Well, how am I going to reach someone? There has to be plans. There has to be intentions. There has to be purpose. For the people of Israel, for Judah. They didn't have they said, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And then he says, The fifth thing that I could see is they were confused and not firm in faith. Not grounded. Isaiah 5:20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light. And light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This passage of scripture is happening in American culture right now as we speak. 2022, here it is. Calling evil, good, good, evil. It's happening. It's happening right now all over. And, And his people were confused. Scriptures talk all about confusion. When God lays out things, even when he talks about gender, distinction, He talks about clothing, apparel, hair. It's not just the act itself. It's not just, oh, uncut hair. Oh, a a pair of pants. Oh, a, a, a skirt. It's not just the clothing itself. It's the gender distinction. And so people years and years and years and years and years ago were like, I don't see the big deal. What's the big deal? And now we are seeing the big deal. Because now there's a battle. It's not just about the apparel, the hair. It's not just about that. It's about the gender distinction, okay? Right now, I just went to the zoo yesterday with my family. Beautiful day. And all of the zoo name tags now say, name my preferred pronoun, his, him, her, hers, all throughout the zoo the name tags all use their preferred pronouns. Gender distinction gender this is gender identity is gender it's gender confusion. There's nothing to be confused about. It's a very basic lesson in science. And now people are talking about not forcing kids to choose which gender they associate themselves with. If I talk like this in a public school, I'm going to lose my job as a teacher. If I talk like this in a public corporation today, I will lose my job. What in the world has gotten into our minds? This is not hate speech. I don't care if somebody walks in and says, I'm a man, I used to be a woman, a woman, I used to be a man, I'm gonna shake their hand and say, welcome to the house of the Lord. I'm never gonna stand and purposely go after someone that's here for any type of sin, any type of confusion at all, but I'm never gonna stop preaching what the Bible says. And so we are living in a day, well, how do I combat that? Because I think most people would say, yeah, I agree, this is not a good idea. Well, how do I combat this? Well, I think one of the things is, number one, Number one, I will never tell you how to vote, but we have an election coming up. I think you you try to vote. There's certainly no perfect person, but you try to vote for the person who most aligns with biblical values and godly principles, whoever you feel that is. I think number two, we try to make sure that the next generation, we have open conversations about this. I'm not going to hide the fact that Oh, my kids, I don't want them to see that. I don't want them to know that. They're going to see that someone's name tag says preferred pronoun. Let's talk about that, guys. What does that mean? What do you guys think about that? Let's have a conversation about that. Because even though the world is trying to make the norm these things, my kids need to understand, hey, guys, I don't care who all does it, this is not normal. This is not normal according to Scripture. This is not the way that God intended things to be. And so these are conversations that need to happen in our in our homes. And 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 again I I for me we had somebody come in here a couple years ago. They had been attending for a while and I referenced something not even this clearly. I just referenced something in passing and this person gave a text to the person who had been teaching them and come with them and said I will no longer be attending that church because I want my children to grow up in a place where they can choose their own gender and not be judged. Now, I, I to me, I never reached out to that person because I know that there's nothing I can do and that I can pray for you, but this is not ever going to be a place where we celebrate young kids that it's a girl choosing to be a boy. I we're going to love you. We're going to teach you. We're going to train you. We're not going to ostracize you or try to bully you. Nothing like that. But my Lord, this is confusion. We can't, we have to preach the word of God. Never in my life would I have thought, when I started out, I haven't been preaching that long, but I started preaching at 17. I'm now 42. Never in my life would have thought there'd have been a day where you'd feel a little tension in a church talking about not letting a boy choose to be a girl. But right now. Even now I'm like, I'm, "Whoa, it's kind of tense. Like, why? Because society has said that is a taboo topic, that's hate speech. It's not. Hopefully all of you will be back next Wednesday. <laughs> if not, I guarantee you can find a church out there that'll tell you it's OK. But that, among other things, will probably have to be carved out of the word. And then he says, Self-centered and disobedient. This is the last one. Isaiah 30. He says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me. They're open to listen to, but, but they won't listen to me, but they'll listen to other people. There's no way that someone in church would say, God spoke and he said this. And we, then we take that and say, you know what? I heard that, but I'm going to go ask my friends what they think. And that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit. They might add sin to their sin, to the sin, and that walk to go down into Egypt and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt, meaning I'm going to make whatever choices. I'll go wherever I want. I'm not going to ask God to bless it. I'm not going to seek for his direction, his guidance. I'm just going to do it and do whatever I want because how I want to do it, when I want to do it, I'm going to go where I want to go, when I want to go there. God specifically tells them not to do this, 31.1. What sorrow awaits those who look to Egypt for help? Trusting their horses and chariots and charioteers. And Notice, to the naked eye, they have great strength. He's not saying, why would you do that? He's saying, you're going to trust in things because they got it. To the naked eye, they got, Wow. Depending on the strength of human armies, instead of looking to the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in His wisdom, the Lord will send great disaster. He will not change His mind. He will not rise against the wicked and against their helpers. But they didn't pay attention. God's sitting here saying, you're just going to do what you want, but you've got to talk to me. Don't just go do that. Don't just look to humanity for, for, your, for your strength or for your uh, uh, opinions or their opinions. No, he's, he's saying, don't just pay attention to your own desires. Isaiah 30, 9 and 10, this is the rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the word, the law of the Lord, which say to the, to the, to the sires, seers, see not. And to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. In the New Testament, that refers to itching ears, I want to hear, I want to go somewhere where I'm going to hear what I want to hear. And you know what? A lot of times you'll just, people will jump from church to church. Why? Because I want to find a church that will say the things that I want them to say. This one was good. I really liked this one for a couple weeks. They said this, this, that was good. But then when he spoke that message, she spoke that message. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. Let's go somewhere else. And we'll go to that place for a little while until that place says something that, in, to me, I think we should measure anything where we go but what's thus saith the Lord. If I ever get up and start preaching, hey, I'm going to get out of the word. Today, personally, I'm a something that bothers me. I'm just going to share my heart with you on this. If I'm outside the word, go find a new church. If I done lose my mind at some point in my life, don't sit here and just take it. You better go somewhere where they're preaching the word of God. Sometimes people preach spiritual authority to a fault. Okay, David, he, he was like, all right, I will not touch God's anointed. Oh, you need to be like David and stay with King Saul. No, when he stuck, started chucking javelins at, at David's head, David said, I won't touch the anointed, but I'm going to get out of here. Okay, so I'm not saying I'm the pastor around here. You all need to listen to me, whatever I say. If I start talking crazy against the the Bible, go find a Bible preaching church. But too often in this day, just tell me what I want to hear. Don't make, don't try to push me. You can push me a little bit, but don't push too much. Okay, I've had a long day. Midweeks are tough as it is. I'm tired from work. You can kind of hit the conviction messages, but don't stay there too long, all right? Prophesy deceits. You will find people who will tell you exactly what you want to hear. I've had people say, Pastor, what do you think about this? And as soon as I start responding, they're like, "Well, well, as soon as I start responding, I'll go. They were just looking for someone that was going to make them feel good about a decision they've already made. They're not looking for guidance. They're not looking for correction. And I'm one of those pastors that I will not force my opinion. I could watch you doing something and unless God speaks to me or you invite my voice into your life, I will not step in. Why? Because I've learned that unless my voice is invited in, to force it in is not going to do any good for you. So I might say, hey, I'm praying for you. You sure everything's all right? I'll try and touch base, tag in. But if I if say, well, can, I mean, if you want to talk about that, let me know. And if there's not that invitation, then all I can do is pray for you. But for us, for us, don't just look for the voice that tells you what you want to hear. Don't just look for the prayer partner that is going to validate everything you're thinking and feeling. Because it doesn't take long to search for someone and go, Oh, you don't believe that? Oh well. I just didn't feel led of the spirit for her to be my prayer. I'm gonna go over here and find this person. And really it's nothing. God gets pulled into all kinds of things that he's probably like, What? I had nothing to do with that. Oh, the spirit was really no. Yeah, you're right. The spirit. Just not his. Maybe you've seen some of these things. We've got to wrap up. We're going to continue this. We're done with this part, but we're going to jump into a next topic in the same vein next week. But maybe as I'm talking about these, you're seeing some of these in yourself. Have you lost your will to fight? Are you exhausted? Are you wore out? Are you almost justifying leaving, quitting, giving up? Don't do it. Take this as a voice of God saying, stay in the fight. Have you gotten to the place where religion is just wrote without relationship? You've done this so long that you forgot about how powerful it really is. Has pride gotten in the way? Maybe you don't feel like you have an adequate level of knowledge and God's calling you to go deeper, just even in your study. You're confused and on unstable ground. Maybe even in doctrine, you're going, man, I don't know what I believe. You uh, find someone and say, I feel unstable a little bit in doctrine. Don't be so, because pr- you know what? A lot of times we won't do that because of pride. And these can go hand in hand. You feel like, I'm just not sure I'm understanding. Go find someone. Go find an elder. Go find somebody and say, can you, can we get together at some point? Because I want to make sure that I'm getting this. And I don't right now. He focused on self and your own desires rather than God and his. Israel, you read this, this was them. They did all these things. This was them. But in spite of that, look at Isaiah 29. Where for the Lord had said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips they honor me, they say the right things, but they've removed their heart from me. Their, their fear toward me is taught by the preceptiment. They're saying the right things, they're like, Man, but their heart isn't there. That's where we'd be like, get out of here. I'm done with y'all. Look at the next verse. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people. Even a marvelous work and a wonder. What? They don't deserve that. They're living in pride. They're living in tradition. Their hearts are far from you. They're saying things in their mouth, just looking for people to tell them what they want to hear. Give up on them. They're, they're not living the way you called them to live. God says, Well, I know. I'm going to do a marvelous work. Why? Because we serve a God who just keeps reaching. That's why I always say the Bible is not a collection of man and woman's pursuit of God. Absolutely not. The Bible is a collection of stories that point to God's pursuit of humankind. It ain't humankind's pursuit of Him. It's his pursuit of us, and he just keeps reaching. And around the same time frame of, of, of this, look what the prophet Micah writes about the remnant of God's people, Micah seven eighteen and 19. Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of your special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample over our sins and you'll trample them under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. That's the God that we serve. So you might be here going, yeah, I've kind of just gotten into tradition. I've, I've got personal pride. I, I, I've i lost my will to fight at times. And you might be, feeling, I don't even know why I'm here. I feel like he ain't, he ain't even going to listen to me. He does. He's going to give up on me. He doesn't, he, no, you're serving a God that's going, I'm well aware of all of your shortcomings, of where you're dropping the ball. But let me remind you that, uh, I, you know what? I just finished talking all about it and the next thing out of my mouth is okay watch this I'm going to do a marvelous work in my people I'm gonna do something miraculous why why would you do that they don't deserve it I don't deserve it why because you know what I'm going to just keep on reaching. I'm going to keep on reaching because these are the people that I delight in because I see something in them when they don't see anything in themselves. That's the God that we serve. And so I invite you to stand to your feet and to find a place to pray tonight. Maybe you're going to find a place because you're, you're you're in a bad place. You're like, man, I'm tired. I've lost my will to fight. I've got some pride in my life. I feel like I'm on unstable ground. Maybe you're just coming out of that and going, my Lord, thank you for your grace. Maybe you're the one that's saying, you know what, I think I'm doing okay, but I need to get into a place of prayer just to thank him again that he's never given up on me. He just never stops reaching. He keeps his hand extended. I certainly don't deserve it. I could do things right for the next two decades and I still won't deserve that love that grace, that mercy but I'm thankful that I can look at Israel I can look at Judah and I can see some, just just some of my own personal story and some of their failures and shortcomings and I can see God's grace reaching yet again here tonight thank you for your faithfulness